podcast focused on lessons learned via the musician's backstory, as well as building successful careers in the business. My name is Allison M., and I'll be interviewing artists and industry experts and offering insights based on events Wisconsin Music Ventures has produced. Let's get down to business. On today's show, we have Emmy Rosansky. She is a freelance trombonist and music educator from Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. Thanks for being here, Emmy. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So tell me about yourself and about being a trombonist in, in the area. How did you decide to play trombone? Well, so when I was a kid, I wanted to play saxophone because my dad would listen to David Sanborn. Um, on the radio, and I just like thought it was the most beautiful sound. Um, so my mom said, it, "Well, I was actually homeschooled, but my mom set it up that I could go to the school band when the other kids were starting band in fifth grade." So I went into the band director's office to try out instruments, and when I tried the saxophone, I couldn't make a sound on it. Um, and then I tried other instruments, and I was pretty good on the trombone and I also thought it was cool I liked you know that it was kind of big and brassy and I, I think I had watched uh, the music man so with the 76 trombones and I kind of envisioned myself like wearing a fancy marching outfit and <laughs> playing my trombone so I decided to pick it and I guess I never looked back. I, I always liked it, um, and I learned more things about it that I liked later, like that it's very versatile, so you can play in an orchestra, a concert band, a jazz band, like a rock band with horns, um, which wouldn't have been the case with the saxophone. It's not doesn't play in as many different kinds of ensembles, and um, I like... I like the sound on the trombone. I like how it can be like lyrical and beautiful and also can be um, more more brash and play the, the loud parts in the orchestra. Sure, sure. So how old were you when you started playing? I was 10 years old. Okay, nice. And uh, did you go straight to trombone or did you do other instruments before that? Pretty much straight to trombone. Um, we had a piano in our house. so. I knew like a little bit about piano and my mom had tried to teach me, but I was kind of not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Later, I wish that I had done more with piano when I was younger because it's such a good instrument for knowing music theory. Um, but pretty much trombone was my first. Got it. And when you, pick, when you picked trombone, were you aware that uh, as a female playing trombone is pretty unusual. It's less, un less common, let's put it that way, to, uh, to be playing trombone. Um, I don't think I really thought about it in the adult world kind of thing, but I did know that I didn't want to play a girly instrument, <laughs> which <laughs> is kind of silly, but I was, I was a tomboy type of kid and I like took pride in my strength and um 
you know, not that a girl can't be very strong, which I <laughs> firmly believe in, but that, that was my idea. And so I thought of like the flute or something like that as a girly instrument, which I like never would have chosen. So sure. I think part of me choosing the trombone was actually that I thought it wasn't girly. Right, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one, I have to say. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. But uh, as a horn player, there tend to be a few more females playing that instrument than even on trombone and low brass. So, um, yeah, what is, has that been any, have, have there ever been any issues along the way with that for you? Or has it been um, kind of fun just being kind of the, the, the lesser of the gender <laughs> in the section? Yeah, I think it's been fun for me. Actually, as far as sections go, I feel like males have been nicer to me than females in general. <laughs> um, I mean, there's been a lot of females that have also been nice to me, but there's been some that have not. Um, sure. And I kind of like being unusual, I guess, you know. <laughs> like, um, uh, I get a lot of times I get people saying like, that trombone is bigger than you are and things <laughs> like that, which does get, it can get old sometimes, but um, I do kind of like being a little bit sure, unusual. Sure. So. It's fun that way. Yeah. Awesome. And so what did you do? Uh, what was your path to deciding that you were going to go into music as a profession? Um, I think... The thing that really made me want to and that like still keeps me going is having like special moments playing with other people in an ensemble where it's that like sense of community with the other players and also with the audience. Um, like we're creating something beautiful together and it's more than we could do on our own. And like it just really fills me in a way that nothing else that I found does. Um, and I was lucky enough to have some of those experiences uh, when I was growing up in high school in the Milwaukee Youth Symphony Orchestra. Um, and just like playing in that orchestra and feeling like I'm part of this beautiful sound. And it's those moments that make it worthwhile to you know to practice by yourself for hours and hours on you know things that that may not be as exciting like etudes and scales and things like that um because when you do get those times it's just amazing and it's so worth it mm -hmm. so i think that's why i um decided that I wanted to pursue music and that's why I still keep pursuing it. Mm -hmm. That's very well said. And full disclosure, um, Emmy and I both went through the Milwaukee Symphony together and um, I've known her more or less since then, but we kind of re-met um, in recent years and have uh, started playing music together again and even have a couple of pieces being commissioned for um, yes. uh, duets together. Uh, we'll be doing more duo work coming up. So uh, she's a, a colleague and friend that I've gotten to know <laughs> in the area. Uh, and so we have a, a, a similar upbringing in music um, as brass players in the area. Um, so I, I love hearing more about um, how 
how this came to be for you. And so where did you go on to study music after deciding that you this was kind of a calling for you? For my undergrad, I went to UW-Milwaukee, and I got to study with Megumi Kanda, who's the principal trombone of the Milwaukee Symphony. And I had already started studying with her a little bit um, as a senior in high school, and I loved her. Um, you know, she's still my friend. I still play for her. She's just, like, the most enthusiastic and upbeat person and such an amazing player. Like, mm-hmm. I love her playing. So that was wonderful to get to study with her there. Um, and then I studied with Mark Holscher as well like for my, my last year there because Megumi, she was having her third child, and it was mm-hmm. just a little too much to keep keep teaching there. Um, so it was great to study with uh, both Megumi and Mark. And after that, I really wasn't sure what was next for me. I mean, I wanted to keep playing, but it wasn't like the gigs were pouring in after I graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I was really interested in was playing for movie soundtracks. So I ended up going to L.A. for like a month and a half, and my grandma had a friend there, and I was able to stay at um, their house, her and her husband. And I took a lot of lessons with people in L.A. And I didn't end up pursuing um, playing for soundtracks at that time. Pretty much everyone that I played for told me, well, it's really, really hard, and like people do it for 50 years, and you have to wait for someone to die before there's an opening, and then <laughs> there's hundreds of people who want to take the spot. Sure. Um, but what happened, I t- had a lesson with Ralph Sauer, who is the former principal trombone of the L.A. Philharmonic, and I really, really liked the lesson. I thought it was very helpful. Um, so he was teaching at Arizona State at that time, and he was still living in L.A. He was flying to Arizona every week for a day and a half to teach. Um, so then I decided I was going to audition there, and I auditioned at a few places, but that ended up being the place that made the most sense for me to go to. So I ended up going to Arizona State for my master's. And actually, Ralph Sauer ended up only being there for the first year of my master's. Mm -hmm. And then Doug Yo, who was the former bass trombonist of the Boston Symphony, uh, became the new professor. um, And that turned out really, really well. And I ended up staying to do my doctorate, um, Doctor of Musical Arts. And I got to be a teaching assistant for the trombone studio, um, which was really good, valuable experience. Um, I got to teach the methods class for music education majors who need to learn all of the different instruments that they're going to have to teach. So I got to teach the trombone portion of that. And I got to teach some private lessons to like music education and music therapy majors there on trombone um, and kind of work in some of the studio administration type things. 
Um, and it just, it turned out really well because Dogyo was the kind of teacher that he was very encouraging. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was really what I needed because I, like growing up, I didn't always get the first chairs and the Milwaukee Youth Symphony Orchestra and things like that. And I kind of thought of myself as, well, like you're, you're pretty good, but you're not at the top. Um, and like the way that he like believed in me and encouraged me was a really good environment mm-hmm. for me. And not, it wasn't like a, a cutthroat competitive type, type mm-hmm. environment, which mm-hmm. was very important. Nice. And so what, and so your doctorate was in, can you tell me again, musicology and? Uh, no, not musicology. It was in trombone performance. Okay. The doctorate. Yes. Okay. Got it. And then, so what did you end up doing with that afterwards? So afterwards, um, I also didn't quite know what I was going to do. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't want to stay in Arizona because I didn't have any family there and it just really wasn't my plan. Um, so I came back to Milwaukee, um, where my family is. And I've also spent some time living in Chicago. So it's been like four and a half years now since I graduated and I've kind of lived in Milwaukee and some of the time in Chicago. Um, so I just started trying to make things happen, I guess, like making connections, um, reaching out to people, you know, sending so many emails to band directors, asking if I can teach private lessons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just, it's been a gradual process of like, Every year I get um, jobs that are a little bit more aligned towards my purpose and what I'm looking for. And, well, I was getting, like, more gigs every year until now. <laughs> until <Yeah>. now. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, so now I work. Um, the first job I got after that was for Sistema Ravinia, mm-hmm. which is... Um, an Elsa Stemma inspired program and Elsa Stemma was started in Venezuela and it's a music for social change program. So the idea is to give kids something to do so they're not joining gangs or mm-hmm. getting into other bad things. Um, and it was super successful in Venezuela, uh, totally funded by the government. So anyone could afford it. And they, like have great orchestras. Mm-hmm. And so in the U.S., a lot of these El Sistema-inspired programs have popped up, and they're um, funded in different ways, not totally funded by the government. Like the one I work for is funded by the Ravinia Women's Board. Mm-hmm. And Ravinia is a large outdoor music festival in the Chicago yes. area. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's um, it's a concert venue. Like um, Outside, it's very beautiful there's a stage there's extensive grounds and statues Mm -hmm. there's also an indoor uh, stage 
and it's the home of the Chicago Symphony in the summer. Mm-hmm. And then it's they have a lot of a lot of other groups come in acts, and so but they also have this reach teach play program, and part of that is Sistema Ravinia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started teaching for that, uh, and I had to drive down to Waukegan. Mm-hmm. But I loved it. Like it just, it was really rewarding um, to work with the kids. And then let's see, I started getting some private lesson teaching jobs, like where a high school would say, "Okay, you're our private lesson teacher," and everyone playing low brass that is taking private lessons would take with me. Sure. Um, so those things, and then I became a adjunct teacher at Alverno College. So this is my second year. I just finished my third semester doing that, um, mm-hmm. teaching music history class. Which, and that's in the Milwaukee area. Yeah, yeah, that's in the Milwaukee area. Um, so, yeah, so basically just kind of piecing together a lot of things and trying to take sublist auditions whenever they mm-hmm. come up. Um, Great. What what orchestras have you been involved with? Um, I have been involved with the Beloit Janesville Symphony and the Skokie Valley Symphony in Illinois and the Milwaukee Philharmonic here in Milwaukee. Nice. So you're definitely keeping busy. You're definitely playing when possible. Have you done anything um, or currently, as, as this is being recorded, uh, still in the midst of COVID-19, uh, are you doing anything right now um, performance-wise? Um, yes, actually. So during <laughs> COVID, uh, I was asked to come play with a German band that was performing at uh, Kegel's Beer Garden in West Dallas. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So um, this, outdoor, yeah, yeah, outdoor. So this is a seven seven piece band that's part of a larger band called Blast Capel Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and so we were performing at Kegel's like every Wednesday night, and then um, they asked us to do kind of a a holiday. Um, performance type thing where we we played for three three Fridays in December and then the last one was a sing-along so um, uh, one of our members the tuba player his wife is a vocalist Mm -hmm. and she she led the sing-along and of course it's gotten really cold but no we have heaters and fires like campfire and um, it's been really fun and then the group wants to do more things like keep rehearsing during the winter and um, make recordings and really work on promoting ourselves and being ready to play more gigs um, Great. when COVID's done. So that's been that's been a bright spot. Oh, and we also did um, a recording or we did a live stream from um, a church of Christmas tunes also. Nice. Yeah, so that's been my like performance bright spot. But <laughs> that's great. Um, other than that, just like recordings that have been edited into larger, um, larger pieces. Great. Yeah. 
And that's that's not uncommon right now. A lot of people are doing their own recordings at home. Um, someone will ask you to record something at a particular tempo. You record it, you send it in, and it's pieced together magically into an ensemble, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who have you kind of um, done that with in, in some of your recordings? Um, well, I did uh, an orchestra excerpt project of uh, Schumann's First Symphony with... Um, another trombonist named Brian Johnston, who has made a YouTube channel um, during the pandemic where um, he'll play like two of the parts um, for for orchestra excerpts, like low brass orchestra excerpts. So normally three trombones and a tuba. Um, and then it's like a tool you can play along, like play the missing part or play along with okay. it. So I did one of those where I played the second part and he played the first and uh, third parts for Schumann's first symphony. Um, I've done some things with something. It's called the Virtual Orchestra with uh, Adam Kranick. He, um, some, some orchestra people, one of them was excerpts from Firebird. Mm-hmm. Um, some things for... My Sistema Ravinia job, mm-hmm. um, where we've, the teachers and the students have recorded our parts and we put that together. Nice. Yeah. Um, so It's always fun to find out what things. people are doing during this time and yeah. how, how the music has been kept alive because it's been so difficult. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that there, there is, is still music happening for you right now. So I'd like to find out, so you have... Um, you know, uh, besides just knowing you personally and as a friend and and, and musical colleague, um, I've I've really admired just your drive to kind of, um, you know, just just stay involved and always be asking around of what's what's happening and getting involved in things, meeting new musicians. And I've seen like your website and the the interviews that you're doing with people on there, and um, you know the series that you have uh, navigating life after music uh you definitely have a handle on uh, the music business and uh more of it is more education focused but um i'd love to hear more about what you think about that and how you got involved in doing that oh thanks well i try (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i have a lot to learn um we always do yeah (laughs) but i guess it was just an idea that came to me. So my uh, my blog is called Navigating Life After Music School. And I touched on a little bit how, like, after I graduated, it was hard for me because um, after, like, after my DMA, I moved um, back to Wisconsin where I hadn't been for five years so I didn't have as many contacts. It was kind of like, I mean, I knew some people, but it was kind of like starting over and just building things. Um, and it was really hard. So I thought, well, maybe some other people have had similar experiences. And it would be cool. I actually first thought of it as a podcast, but then like doing a blog seemed more manageable to me because mm-hmm. I don't know all of the technology involved with a podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought it would be neat to talk to people who have, you know, kind of recently graduated um, in the last, last 10 years at least. Um, So they're kind of 
current on what what the scene is like for for a new graduate and just like ask them what their experiences have been and like what challenges and what's worked for them and kind of gather together a database of what a lot of people have done so that I could learn from it and other people could learn from it. Yeah, that's fascinating. And what are some of the things that have come up through that? What are, what are, I mean, what was your biggest challenge? And then what are some of the things that people have talked about most on the series? Well, I think, so what was my biggest challenge, like, after I graduated? Yeah. I guess just that all of a sudden I didn't have anything to do. Like, Mm -hmm. I had, I was, like, finishing my doctorate, so I'm, like, writing this dissertation, plus I had, like, teaching jobs, Mm -hmm. plus I had, like, gigs and, like, you know people around and then all of a sudden like I was done with like all of that Mm -hmm. I'm in this new place and um you know like questioning whether I have like the skills to do what I really want and um so I think one thing that I learned was sometimes you have to be patient Mm -hmm. and realize that it's going to take time and you just have to keep going and you just have to like put a lot out there and then a few things will come back to you. Um, and what I've learned, I think that there's no set path. There's no like right and wrong way to really go about it. Cause so many people have, done different things like some people have gravitated towards like music technology um some people have gotten like full-time professor jobs some people are like you know really happy piecing together different Mm -hmm. freelancing and um teaching um but i think what everyone does is they just keep going and Mm -hmm. you're gonna have disappointments and setbacks but you just have to keep on moving towards what you feel is your passion Mm -hmm. and another thing that I've noticed is that um, being willing to like make adjustments to your goals is really important so maybe like you go through school thinking that you're you're going to be like principal trumpet of a major symphony orchestra and you're practice, practice, practice for that. Um, But then maybe that's not happening for you right away. And you realize that you have a passion for another area in music and to, to know that that's okay. Mm -hmm. And you can pursue that other area, even if it wasn't what you had originally thought. I think, um, yeah, I never think someone should settle, I guess, and say that, like, well, I'm going to give up on this goal that I really, really want. But if you find yourself, like, gravitating in a, uh, gravitating in a direction um, that you didn't expect, like, it's okay to follow that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good advice, for sure. And what is what is the greatest lesson you have learned along the way from doing this or just from your own experience? 
I think one thing that's been really important is that music isn't a competition. Mm-hmm. It's more of a a community. And when I was in even middle school and high school, I would be devastated if I had an audition that didn't go well and I didn't get what I thought was a good chair. And it just, you know, I remember sobbing and just feeling like it was the end of the world. And then it would make me think, well, maybe I just don't have the talent for this. And Mm -hmm. like, I should stop, but I didn't really want to stop because I loved playing the trombone. So I ended up putting so much pressure on myself for every audition, and it was kind of a a bad spiral. Like, you know, the more I thought about how I didn't want it to go badly and, like, I really wanted it to go well, like, the more pressure it was and the more it kind of wouldn't go well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later... I realized that like music is about so much more than like getting the first chair. It's really about, you know, sharing something with other people um, and creating something together and like a larger purpose, you know, like having a purpose to bring something to the world that's important or that makes it a better place and you know just because you don't win an audition doesn't mean that you can't still be moving towards that purpose Mm -hmm. and what you're doing is worthwhile and another thing that really helped me is I started learning about the growth mindset um, which is the idea that um, things that sometimes people consider kind of innate traits like you know intelligence or sports ability or musical ability um creativity um are actually things that can be improved so once i started learning about that i was i felt less like okay well if i don't do well then i just don't have the talent and more like you know like it's an opportunity to learn and, um, you know, just because I can't do it right now doesn't mean that I won't be able to do it mm-hmm. with hard work. It's very well said. Yeah. Thank you for bringing those, those topics up. Both of those are really important items. And, um, yeah, the competition piece is something that I would, I, maybe that's why we get along well. It's like, <laughs> I, I've seen that time and time again from a lot of musicians. There's, there's a, um, a subset of the music community that's very highly competitive for sure. And it's almost encouraged. Um, and it's, um, personally it's, 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 I mean, that can almost drive people away from music. Um, it can be very discouraging. And if, if you really come at it from more of a a communal perspective, um, of lifting people up and um, learning from each other, as opposed to, um, shutting people out, you know, I, there's so much more to be gained from that and, you know, learning how to work together. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, where I started everything from myself. And so, yeah, thanks for mentioning that. I, I really appreciate it. Um, 
what advice would you give to those looking to be musicians right now? I think, so is this someone who's already playing their instrument? Yeah. And so they're looking to be a professional. Yeah, who are looking to pursue it more seriously, maybe. Well, one thing I would say is you have to work really hard. So true. Sorry. Don't, <laughs> don't think, um, that it's all like magical moments, right? So you have these magical moments, but that's like, because you work really hard, not only at your instrument or vocal, whatever you may be, but also, um, like on the business side of it or, um, connection side of it, I guess, like, making connections with other people, meeting more people, going to other people's gigs to support them and show that you care. Um, so it's not just, it's also can't just be like your bubble of practicing your instrument. You have to like, you know, so much of getting jobs is meeting people. Right. Um, so my advice is to go for it if you really love it. Mm -hmm. And it's your passion and you'll be able to do it if you put in the effort and you just keep going. You know, you may not get one certain job, but you'll find a way and you'll be able to make it work. Um, but if it's not like really your passion, um, then maybe not because it is going to be a lot of work. It is. It is. But it can be very rewarding. At the same time. Exactly. Yes. But it is, it is work. Yes. yes. <laughs> and it's very self-directed work, right? You have to have a lot of your own personal motivation. <laughs> There's no one yes. telling you what to do, right? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, what has been your favorite gig? Have you had a favorite uh, event along the way? Um, I had a couple that were really fun. Um, Let's see, I guess it was, it was last fall of 2019. Um, yeah, fall of 2019, I um, got asked to be principal trombone of the Skokie Valley Symphony for the year. And I was super excited because like playing orchestra music is some of my favorite. Mm -hmm. And they were playing some really good pieces. And, um, and as a trombonist, uh, you don't always get the opportunity to play orchestra music because like, there's only two tenor trombones in the orchestra. It's not like a string player where there's like, many violins. Or, mm -hmm. um, so we played uh, Scheherazade, which was really fun. Um, and then we played Dvorak 9, the, the New World Symphony, which... Uh, is one of my favorites like that english horn solo mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just so beautiful so like even though i don't play very much in that movement i just like love sitting there in the orchestra and listening to it mm -hmm. and there's some great spots where i do play uh so i would say in recent times like those two concerts were like really really wonderful nice when will they be performing again Actually, I don't know if they ever will. Really? Um, yeah, because 
uh, they were having some financial trouble before the pandemic. And then I got an email that the orchestra is not going to continue, but I guess they still want to do one farewell concert whenever that happens. Wow. That was a big disappointment. Yeah. And, you know, I sense that that's, they aren't the only ones out there that that will happen to. Um, and it's really tough to hear things like that, but there are a lot of, uh, a lot of symphony orchestras out there that were already barely making it, um, you know, just, just barely getting the support that they needed from ticket sales and other things, um, you know, other fundraising, um, whether it be through uh, private contributions or grants or things like that. Um, It's hard. It's very competitive to even get some of that um, to begin with, much less to survive through this. So um, it's like, as you said before, it's a lot of work (laughs) to be a musician. It's going to be even more work than, than usual um, after this is over. But uh, I hope that, you know, that's that there might be a saving grace uh, for their future and that they can resume something afterwards. Um, but it's often up to the community in in that area to kind of determine that and see, see what right. they are willing to support. Um, we'll see. Um, I hope that for your sake, they can continue. <laughs> I hope so, too. Yeah. Um, I'd love to find out, I mean, is there anything else that I did not ask you about today that you'd like to, to talk about relating to your business or education? You're, you're such a big proponent of music education, um, you know, for, for trombone and low brass, but just in general, is there anything else that, that is a topic that you would like to talk about? Um, one thing that, that I'd like to say, uh, that kind of goes along with um some things we were we were talking about is that every person like has a unique, a unique voice on their instrument so you know even if you're not the principal of the LA Philharmonic or something like that it doesn't mean that what you have to say on your instrument isn't important and can't like be a gift to someone else. So this is something that has been helpful to me. Like maybe I'm not going to play a piece perfectly or like as fast as someone, someone else, but it doesn't mean that what I have to offer isn't valuable to society. And I, I want everyone else to know that so like no matter where you are on your musical journey you can still um give someone give something to other people that's meaningful and important mm-hmm. yeah great great thoughts there thank you and will you tell us about the piece that you submitted to be performed or to be played after this interview from the fresh ink festival Oh, yes. Um, After the... Okay, so right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, So in the summer, this past summer, I participated in the the Fresh Ink Festival, which is normally a in-person festival, uh, but it was online this time. And uh, Fresh... So Fresh Ink 
is because um, they really support new works for the festival. Uh, so they have composers attend the festival who've written works specifically for it and then like work with a chamber group to perform that work. Um, and and it's the the Fifth House Ensemble, which is a chamber collective based in Chicago. Fifth House Ensemble puts on the Fresh Ink Festival. Okay, nice. Yeah, so um, I did several pieces through that, like what we were talking about where um, you record your own part in your house and then it gets um, edited together to make the full ensemble. And this was one of those pieces, and this isn't a new work. This is um, Oblivion by Esther Piazzolla, who um, is a pretty well-known composer, and I mm -hmm. think this is probably his most most famous work. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is an arrangement of it for uh, trombone, viola, and piano. And so the arrangement is new. Yes. Um, I think so. I saw an arrangement for cello cello trombone and piano um that someone else had performed but mm -hmm. i haven't seen a viola mm -hmm. one um yeah and i really enjoyed being part of that i the piece is very beautiful yeah, how often do you get to play piazzola yeah <laughs> that's the first time i've played it yeah yeah that's such a treat for for brass players for sure yeah at any level so Fantastic. Um, and then where can we find out more information on you? Um, tell us where we can find you. Um, well, I have a website, emmyrosanskytrombone.com. Uh, and that's also where my blog is, if you're interested in checking mm -hmm. that out. Um, and you can find me on Instagram is at emmyarts and uh, Facebook. I have an artist page and a personal page with my name, Emmy Rosansky. Awesome. And we'll link to those things in the show notes as well to make sure people can easily find those. Um, but thank you so much for being here today and for um, this great interview. I love finding out even more about you than I um, have ever known. So <laughs> it's so, so nice to, to learn more about the, um, the method behind the musician and uh, all of that. So thanks so much. I really appreciate the time that you took today. Thank you for having me. All right, and we'll, we'll be in touch more soon. Thank you. We are grateful for the support of patrons who uh, assist in the support of Wisconsin Music Ventures, which produces this podcast. Art Lounge in Menominee Falls, uh, owned by Stacy Estrada, is one of our patrons. So thank you for supporting what we do in live music and now the podcast.
The Musicians Venture Podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Neumeyer. Thanks again.